Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's See what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Oh, I am very well this evening, and you? Also doing very well. We had a wonderful day of sunshine and temperatures in the late high 30s that have never felt so wonderful. 
Yes, it was so warm. It's perfect weather for making maple syrup because mm. it's above freezing during the day and below freezing at night. And that oh. alternation pushes the sap in the maple trees. And I was remembering all of the years that I would go out with my drill in the cold in my snowsuit and drill and tap the taps into the trees and hang my buckets and then have to go two or three times a day to collect from my buckets and bring it to my boiling kettle and boiling it down, staying up all night to boil it down. It's a magical thing to do to make maple syrup. Mm. I often talk about how the first taste is sweet. Mother's milk is very sweet. Mm. And things we love, we call honey, sweetie. So to find some way to be all right with our desire for sweet. I find that a lot of people really fight that because Mm. they got the message that sugar is bad and artificial sweeteners are bad, and therefore somehow sweet became bad. Mm. Now, granted, you know, we had somebody at the health food store where I worked, and he came in and bought like a five-pound jar of honey every week, which I think he was eating all by himself. That was way too much. But other than that, he was just eating raw food, so I guess it was like where he was getting anything he was getting at all. Mm. 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 So I talk about how in indigenous cultures, in close to the earth cultures, we really have to live by the calorie equation, which is that you aren't going to live for long and your children aren't going to live for long, if you don't bring in more calories than you exert. So if you expend 2,000 calories getting something, and that only has 1,000 calories worth of food value, um, you're not going to make it. So nowadays we talk about nutrient-dense foods, but for indigenous people, those were the kinds of foods that they totally focused on was the nutrient-dense foods they had to because they had to get into that a calorie equation, right? With the exception that the native people of this area would make not just maple syrup, but maple sugar, which keeps better and is easier to transport. And they did they did it without the use of metal. Mm-hmm. So where I was taking my metal drill bit and my metal drill, hand drill, to the trees and boring holes in them, they were having to do that with stone. And where I was tapping little metal... I don't know what to call them, 
pipes with lips, little metal pipes with lips and a hook to hang my bucket on, got hammered into the hole. They were using elder branches that had been hollowed out. Oh, wow. Wow. And where I had a metal bucket to hang on that hook, right? That hook, which was Mm. a pipe in the tree that the sap came out through and so ran into the bucket. They didn't have any metal for buckets, so they had to make containers out of birch bark. And then I brought my sap to my boiling kettle, which was made of metal. Mm-hmm. What they did was to hollow out logs, heat stones, pour the sap into the hollowed out logs, put the hot stones in there. Pretty amazing. Very amazing. But they would go to that much work in pursuit of what? Sweet, sweet, sweet. Sweet, sweet, sweet. sweet. We love sweet. It's okay if you love sweets. Just be sure you're drinking your nourishing herbal infusions, and you'll be well mineralized, and then you can have a little sweet. It's okay. Life is sweet. Mm -hmm. We are going to be visiting this evening with Jamie Heron, an intuitive women's empowerment coach. She empowers us to reconnect to our sacred wisdom, own our sovereign voice, and step into our divine power so we can consciously create the life we are worthy of. And she's an Akashic Records expert. And if you don't know what the Akashic Records are, well, then you definitely have to come back at 9 o'clock or stick with us till then. Do we have anybody who has raised their hand? We do. We have three callers that have raised their hands. We have many other callers on the line. And I'd like to remind everyone listening that if you have a question for Susan tonight, please press one and let me know. And you will also be lined up with your hand raised. Our first caller tonight is calling from the 608 area code. You are live on the air with Susan. Hello, Susan. Can you hear me okay? I can. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. I'm trying out new headphones and I wasn't sure. Oh, okay. Um, thanks for taking my call and uh, thank you for everything you do. You're welcome. Um, I'm calling because uh, my dog's having some problems. Uh, I, I have called you in the past about him. He's a real sweet dog. Um, he's had a lot of problems with his the, the skin on his elbows, um, and uh, his. You know, I've I've tried uh, some things that have been marginally successful, but uh, haven't completely solved the problem, and are now getting to the point where I might need to. Well, I'm quite certain I'm going to need to use antibiotics at this point. Um, uh, I've used echinacea, which has helped, and I've used large quantities. He's a, he's a giant breed dog, so he's 200 pounds, and uh, so I do use four droppers full. Um, I try to give it to him as frequently as I can, but I, I have to work, you know. I mean, 
I work at home, you know, I've, long before COVID, I, I worked at home, but, you know, it's just not enough. Um, you know, I can't keep up with how often I would need to, to give them echinacea. Um, and uh, so, uh, one of... One, so is, is there an infection? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You said there was a problem with his elbows. I was envisioning... Um, Inflammation or dry skin or yeah, they one is like a full-on pressure sore. Probably both of them are, but one one is the characteristic of it is that it's like a it's not as deep as it was. It is slowly healing. Have you put, have you put honey? Stuff. Have you put honey in them? Yes, yes, and uh, yes. Um, I I did do honey, and I have been doing honey on it, um, although for a while. The honey, he would just lick it off, and then he would just keep licking and licking and licking and licking. And eventually, um, I struck upon using um, like a ace bandage with a, you know, with a like a um, surgical dressing wrapped inside of it, you know, so that you know the surgical dressing touches the elbow and the ace bandage holds it in place. Uh, and that worked okay, but you know, eventually, you know, I'd asked the vet about some strategies and he recommended this company that sells them. Essentially what it is is a harness that sort of hangs off the shoulders and, and sort of cushions the elbows. And uh, I asked the company, what do you do when your dog has still got oozing sores? And they recommended menstrual pads, uh, which has worked pretty well to keep from soiling the, uh, the inside of the product. But it, I started noticing that the product was rubbing on um, the other leg on, on a certain part of the, the leg, and they're starting to abrade it. So I've removed that, going back to using an ACE bandage with a menstrual pads, and with the menstrual pads uh, sticking to the ACE bandage, it actually helps to hold it in place. But I also think, you know, from time to time, you need air on the on those wounds, they, they can't stay in an, in an anaerobic environment forever, I, I, I don't think. So, um, uh, again, I'm not hearing anything that actually is about infection. Well, like I said, it's... Hearing uh, ulcers, and are the, are the ulcers infected? According to the vet, yes, they did a blood draw, and apparently they're there's some infection activity. And then he started to develop a, a muscle infection in one of his legs, which I think has to do with the embrasion that he was getting on that leg. Um, and I don't I don't know if it's a whole body infection. Maybe it's a muscle infection. Maybe there's just a lot going on, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Right. I don't know. So, um, and the other thing is he started... One, to- one part, you know, in, if it wasn't an infection... And you're just trying to heal an ulcer, and you're putting, you know, you're going to these lengths to be able to compress that area. Then comfrey would be a great choice because it, even more so than the honey, can heal ulcers pretty rapidly. But oh, oh, like making a like a poultice and wrapping it in a bandage around his, his elbow. Yeah. Okay. Um, would I? Uh, okay, 
because I do give him internally, I have been giving him nourishing herbal infusions, especially comfrey. I've been getting a lot of comfrey. Not every One, day, but like yeah. every two to three days. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been giving him comfrey. Um, he likes it, and he especially likes it with a little bit of bone broth in it. Um, oh, how lovely. <laughs> what a great thing to do. Yes, add some bone broth. Brilliant. Absolutely. Okay, so this is encouraging. Okay. All right, so if, it, if the infection, because the infection that was related to the muscle infection seems to be going down on its own, I was concerned that, oh, God, do I need to start giving anti- antibiotics? Well, maybe I don't. Maybe this I is a separate think, problem. Keep up with your echinacea. You're giving it to him, what, three or four times a day? Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's about the best I'm able to do, you know. That's, a, that's uh, perfect. You're doing a great job. Okay. It's Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. no, three or four um, times a day should be just like, just, you oh, know, until, until you, you know, actually really see, which you're already starting to see some remission, just keep it at that level. And then when you're sure that okay. that is really being effective, you know, then if you want to be doing it one last time, do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think you're doing a good That's job. It. Now, uh, I know Stephen Buhner is, one of the things he talked about in his uh, in herbal antibiotics was uh, juniper berry tincture, which I have been spraying on his ulcers. And yeah, they seem to do something. Oh, what a nice something. idea. Yeah. Mm, and yes. They, they make them smell good. Like, you know, when I was going to say, at the very bandage, least, it makes it smell wonderful. Yeah, and when I take the bandage off, it doesn't smell rancid, you know? Nice. Just, nice. So, yeah. Okay, good. So I am doing some things that are helpful. Um, so yeah, because I'm really worried. I mean, I was starting to think, dang, is this a is this like a widespread infection throughout his body? And do I need to be? I mean, I have antibiotics if I have to use them, but I've been holding off on it because I don't want to mess him up any more than he already is. Uh huh. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, but I have them on hand. Is, is your dog running a fever? You know, I don't think so, and the vet did not report a fever to me. Uh-huh. Um, is there any area of heat or inflammation? Are the yeah, ulcers, well, the area that, are the ulcers are very the ulcers, hot or very red? Uh, no, no. And the ulcer on one elbow, uh, you know, it started out like a deep wound, like I said, and it's, it is filling up over time. The other one has a different characteristic. They're, these kind of dogs, they have very loose skin, and they, 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 there are folds on the elbow that kind of conceal the, uh, the, the ulcer, which to me has a different quality. Instead of being a, a bleeding ulcer, it's like a slimy pink almost as if it's like, I don't know, like I don't know if it's being attacked by yeast or something. I, I, I don't know. It just has a different characteristic than the other elbow. And these are about how big? One's about the size of a quarter. That's the, the one that's kind of concealed and slimy. And the other one is, well, it started out being probably the size of three quarters, and now it's a about the size of one and a half quarters. Big. Yeah. Big. Yeah. 
Well, that's good. Shrunk by 50%. That's excellent care. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I know these things take a long time, and these are giant breed dogs, which means they put a lot of weight on their joints. Right. Um, and they, they tend to also have skin problems with particular breeds. Well, I was imagining this 200-pound dog. Yeah. And just English the, the, You know, it's... Um, As big as most humans. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he he um, he's a relative of the Saint Bernard in English Nazca, so very droopy. You know. Oh yes, a lot of yeah. extra skin, shall we say? Yeah, a lot of extra skin. They are prone to skin problems. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, comfrey. So the thing about comfrey is that sometimes it can be very. Um, you know, the comfrey herb can be sort of have hard spots in it, and that concerns me. Uh, but maybe I don't have to be worried. Kind of hard, like bits of hard vegetable vegetable material after you, you make the infusion or with the leftover herb. Uh-huh. You know, a little bit of hard stuff in there. Is that going to be an irritation? Get out if you don't want it in there. Okay. All right. What, what we were given some uh, beans in Costa Rica that had not mm-hmm. been sorted, and we spent the afternoon with the beans on the table sorting the little rocks from the beans. Okay. They had been screened, right? But there were rocks the size mm-hmm. of the beans, and you had to go through by hand and sort them. That's right. Funny, because so, it's hard to find that in any, anymore when you get stuff from the grocery store. Right. Nowadays, you never think about looking for the rocks and the beans, but we spent a lovely afternoon sitting around the table sorting beans and chatting. Uh-huh. Nice. It was wonderful com- community work. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for calling, and um, it would be wonderful if you could call back in a while and let us know what's happening. I will. One quick related question. Okay. Um, the uh, could I soak uh, a cloth like a gauze in an infusion and put that in in this bandage? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good, good. All right, thank yeah, you I, so I, much. I I, I I want to say that I find woven gauze to be very abrasive. Okay, what do you recommend? Non-woven gauze. Oh, non-woven gauze. You mean like cotton balls? Or? No, it's called it's called non-woven gauze. Oh, okay. I got to look that up. I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to pharmacy tomorrow. Non-woven gauze. Non-woven gauze. It's wonderful. That's the same thing as gauze, but without the roughness. I like the roughness of gauze in certain situations. But with this, we want to be really soft and delicate, and the non-woven gauze will get you there. Yeah, so um, do you think that the care of the elbow that has this slimy spot should be handled differently than the other one or the same? Plantain keeps coming to mind. Plantain. I've got plantain oil. Yeah. See if plantain oil... Is okay. it is an ally for you there? And if not, ask her what she suggests. Okay. All right. Wonderful. 
too soon for the leaves, but, uh, you know, yeah. it'll happen soon. Yes. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Thank you. Green blessings. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. We have five callers that have pressed one to let me know that they would like to speak with you and ask a question. Our next caller is coming from the 480 area code. You are live on the air with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi. Good evening. I What's have up? a. I have two. I have a quick question and then a little bit more in-depth question. Um, my first question is. Would you um, recommend roasting your own chicory root? Roasting your own chicory root is something that can be fun to do. Most people use roasted chicory root as a coffee substitute. And for most people, it's not effective for them to try to supply themselves with enough chicory root to totally replace coffee because it takes a lot of time to take the chicory roots and then to wash them and slice them and dry them and then grind them. If you do want to, interestingly enough, the best time to take the chicory root to roast is in the summertime. So uh, at least it's pretty easy to find because you can definitely harvest it when it's flowering. Did you have a particular use for it? Um, Yeah, I think I was looking to make it as an herbal uh, coffee substitute, but I bought some um, dried chicory root, but it's not roasted. So I was wondering if I could then just roast it, and how would I do that? No, you couldn't. So it has to be fresh chicory root? Yes. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. And my other question is, I have a dog. My question is also about my dog. Um, and she has a lot of anxiety and around strangers, um, other dogs, in the car, pretty much any situation that is new for her. She's very anxious, and I was wondering if you had any tips on how to help her with some of her fears. Have you had her long? I've had her for one year. And she's how old? She's um, about a year and a half old. So, one of the things that people who work a lot with animals tell me is that anxiety that covers that many different situations usually arises when the animal is very young. And the 
kind of mind medicine that appeals to you would probably be most effective for her, whether that's a flower essence or a homeopathic remedy or whether it's a visualization or whatever kind of work you want to do with mind medicine, I think would be the road that will help your dog more than administering any kind of herb or outside agent. Does that make any sense to you? Yes, and that was actually my instinct is, you know, when she's feeling anxious to kind of just be really calm myself and have kind words with her. And I've also considered maybe flower essences. And just as long as I'm keeping my energy calm, um, I think maybe that would help her. And you're right. I think this, you know, when we got her, when she was a puppy, she was very, very scared. So I think it was something that happened when she was just a little tiny puppy. Sounds like you're doing all the right things. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Hey, Sarah Ellen, are you there? Hello. Oh, hello. Oh, there we go. Now I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can. Okay. Apologies. We have seven callers in the queue. All right. All right, and we have about an hour for questions. So our next caller is coming from the 603 area code. You are now live on the air with Susan. Hello, 603. All right, we'll move on to the next caller coming from the 650 area code. You are live on the air with Susan. Oh, hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a a question for you um, about tilling the soil. <coughs> Excuse me. I swallowed something wrong. Um, I noticed that a few times that on your um, podcast you've talked about that when you do your soil, you don't till the soil. You just build up a kind of different layers of a bios, you know, just like that. And if you're, like, adding compost and leaves and things like that to your soil, would you work it in or just leave it in layers and plant your things inside it? It somewhat depends on what you're going to plant and where you live. But in general... What I do, I live here in the northeast where there's big temperature swings winter to summer. And I have dairy goats and rabbits. So I have access to a lot of 
animal manure with a lot of hay in it. And approximately every six months, spring and fall, I make a large compost pile. Bigger than a car. Perhaps not as tall. Mm -hmm. And I have three of those. So in order to make that, I have to take the one that's been sitting there for 18 months and put that on the gardens. And that's what we do. We literally throw it on the gardens. In the fall, we generally rake the gardens beforehand because there are a lot of oak trees around and oak leaves compost very, very slowly and can make an impenetrable area in there. So we do like to rake the leaves away so that the compost goes right on the soil and then you don't have to kill anything or dig anything. You plant right into the compost. Hmm. It's not manure. It's compost. It's soil. Yeah, because it's 18 months old. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I have red runner worms in my compost piles. Mm-hmm. When we take apart that compost pile, we'll find the nests of those worms and we'll set them aside and put them in the next one, the new one that we're making. Mm-hmm. And when I say nest, perhaps it's a little grandiose. We'll find the places where they're dense. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're not so, really, however, I have been in places like Costa Rica where the whole cycle is much, much faster because it's hot and it can be very, very rainy. And there you really can just like say, okay, I'm going to make a garden here and throw a bunch of wood and big leaves and all kinds of stuff and throw a little soil over it and stand back. And in a year, year and a half, you actually have a place you can plant stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, bigger stuff, of course, better, right? Like trees or vines. But the kind of gardening I'm doing, I'm wanting to grow you know, smaller plants, leafy plants, flowering plants, plants with small fruits like tomatoes. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and so, well, I'm in California, so you're doing it in the fall and letting it sit for the winter with the snow on top. I'm and doing I, it. I am doing it both spring and fall. Oh, spring and fall, yeah. And it, it's 18 months, right? Mm-hmm. And I've read that there's a movement in, like, kind of commercial agriculture now to get animals and let there be manure and not till the soil and just poke holes in it and put the seeds there so that the soil um I, I I'm not I don't really quite understand that the, the soil then um micro the microbiota of the soil the living part of the soil mm-hmm. is not very deep it's an inch or an inch and a half deep Mhm and when you turn the soil over you bury it yeah. So it probably and, and, would... and then, because the plants can't relate to the microbiota of the soil, then they need fertilizers, mm-hmm. and they need herbicides and pesticides. Mm-hmm. So part of the idea of not tilling is, first of all, that I am 
very lazy gardener. <laughs> That's what I like and about people it. People look at me and say, no, you're not a lazy gardener. You're a busy woman. I said, okay, well, same difference. You know, you know I do not have – well, I started out, you know, I read all the books. I did some double digging. I know all about that. And I totally rejected that. I said, excuse me. There are other things I need to do, like take care of my daughter and write books and teach people and find mushrooms. And no, I'm not going to spend all this time disturbing the soil because even then, even as little time, as a few years as I had spent outside, it was obvious to me that that's not how nature did it. Mm -hmm. I also do make big, long windrows of leaves. And those are about three feet wide and about three feet tall, and they go the whole length of my very long driveway. And they decompose very slowly, and then we can take uh, humus, right? Mm -hmm. Forest forest humus from the bottom of that as those decompose over the years. And do you put leaves in your compost as well, your compost piles? Not on purpose. Mm -hmm. Not not dead ones that have fallen off the trees, fresh ones sometimes, yeah. Oh, really? We, Yeah. We bury kitchen compost in our... We and, bury, and then we I bury thought... kitchen scraps. Mm-hmm. But we don't have a lot of leafy green waste material because of the goats and the rabbits. Oh, that's right. And your compost is mostly the manure and the hay from your animals. Correct. Oh, yeah, okay. Because I have chickens, but not like you have lots and lots of goats. I mean, and lots of manure. I don't have lots of goats. I only have three goats, actually, at the moment, but I have had more. But Mm -hmm. goat manure is much kinder to plants than chicken manure is because... Oh, it is? Yeah, chicken Mm -hmm. manure can be very harsh on plants. It can burn the plants. So it does need to be this long, slow compost that I do is a good idea for the chicken manure. Mm-hmm. I'll have to start doing that. Could I ask you a question about uh, poultices? There's not too many more people on the line. Well, Let's okay. see if I can answer you quickly. Well, it would probably be a general, just a general question. I, I struggle with how you're supposed to make a compost and not have, uh, not a compost, but a, a poultice, and not have it be too messy. Like, can you take, like, just the herbs from baking an infusion and put it, say, in cheesecloth or something or just a piece of a sheet and put that on the area? You can. The, the simplest application of herbs to the body is a spit poultice in which the fresh plant is chewed up, mm-hmm. put on the area to be treated. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of variations of that, pounding the thing, powdering it and blowing it on and things like that. A little more um, direct is just taking the plant material and putting it directly on the skin and then wrapping that up in some way. Okay. You can also, as you say, take the plant material and put it in. I use like 
kitchen towels that are, you know, kind of like, hmm, this one's just a little too stained to be out in the kitchen, so we'll use it, you know, for a, a compress. You know, put the the herb material from the infusion is just fine in that and wrap it up. And if I want it cold, I freeze it for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then then take it out and apply it cold to the area. And you can also do a soak, either by directly soaking the area in the liquid or by taking that two-stained kitchen towel and soaking it in the liquid and then applying that. And that's a fomentation. Mm-hmm. So a poultice is the direct application of the herb. A compress is the indirect application of something between the skin and the herb. And a fomentation is the liquid mm-hmm. applied with a cloth. Because comfrey, for instance, I don't have access to fresh comfrey, which is what it seems to be the best one for just about anything that you have going on, pain or... I have, I have frequently used the dried comfrey from the infusion as poultices and compresses, and it works very well. It does. Oh, that's reassuring. Okay. Sorry, it's compresses and fomentations is what I meant to say. It seems like it's based mostly on what part of the body it's on and how you can attach it to yourself. That's part of it, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it is. Oh, good. Well, you've answered my question, so thank you, Susan. You're welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings. Bye. All right. We now have three callers that have pressed one to let us know that they have a question and would like to come on the line live and ask you a question. Our next caller is coming from the 313 area code. You are live on the air with Susan. Hello. Is that me? Hi, it is. Oh, hi, Susan. This is Kinga from Detroit. How are you? I am well. And you? I'm uh, I'm I'm good right now. I'm super excited to be talking to you. <laughs> so, Thank nervous. you. <laughs> um, I would love to talk to you um, about um, COVID and the long-term effects of COVID. And um, specific questions would be uh, how to determine, how would you maybe determine which herbs which herbs to incorporate into um my daily life. I already have a few that I take regularly and um and there's a few that I'm looking at and uh or rather they're looking at me and I'm going <laughs> you know, like like there's you know, I there's a reason you know, sometimes there's a reason why, you know, you choose an herb well I do and so um I'm wondering could it be too many at the time? Would I um you know, should I just stick to a few? And maybe if I just tell you what they are, it would be easier. That would be great. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, sure. So, um, for, well, first of all, um, I had um, what was never confirmed to be COVID, but um, I'm I'm pretty sure that it was um, starting in March last year, and I'm still um, dealing with um, fatigue issues and lymph issues. My lymph nodes have never been normal since then, and um, and as soon as I do something that um, that resembles my old life before that physically, like activity-wise, um, I can really easily overdo the activities, and um, and then my lymph nodes will swell, and I will have a sore throat and an earache, and I will be um, on the couch for days, basically. Um, 
so I have been um, I've been taking reishi um, reishi tincture that I made from these beautiful mushrooms that um, that I found or or it's questionable who found who um, in mm-hmm. August um, in this beautiful place that um, that I consider already my basically my uh, sanctuary um, we go camping there on the Asabo River and these mushrooms were just beautiful so anyway I made tincture with them and I've been taking my whole family has been taking that for a couple months um, maybe even maybe three months now and then um, then I've been taking dandelion and chicory a couple squirts not chicory, a dandelion and um, burdock, uh, a couple squirts a day uh, for about two months. And these tinctures also I made from my garden. And um, very recently, I started last week, I'm on my seventh drop today of poke um, that I made from um, this beautiful plant in my garden. And, um, And I started cleavers a couple days ago. So that already seems like a lot, doesn't it? Um, not for you, mm-hmm. and not right now. And you are taking them individually so that you can take varying amounts. Uh, I tend to take the now, same it, 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 It's like somebody's eating it's like somebody saying, "Is it? I, I know how to juggle with three balls. Can I juggle with four? Sure, and five. Yeah, you can. Once you know how to juggle, you can juggle. Right. So don't just take the same amount every day. Mm-hmm. It, each day, at least, say to yourself about one of them, is this still a good amount for me? Mm. Give, give yourself that flexibility and that variance which is one of the definitions of health mm-hmm. this has been actually a kind of topic that came up for me about um, a week and a half ago um, where a friend of mine who was incarcerated for something he didn't do was asking me about long haulers disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this certainly resembles what you're talking about. Yes. It's most prevalent in people who've had l- few symptoms of COVID. And certainly exhaustion is a big part of it. Harvard believes that it's inflammation in the brain. Which leads me to think that ginkgo might be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Ginkgo is on my list of, thing, of things that I've been looking at to add, and I was going to ask you about it. Mm-hmm. 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 And you're Drinking nourishing or herbal infusions. Oh, I have to tell you, Susan. <laughs> yes, uh, I started maybe let's see, three months ago, I think. And um, absolutely, the about first the two months after I started was um, very clear 
and the, just the way that my that my energy level was up, you know, and it wasn't, it was just like a gradual, like after a couple months, I, I was, yeah, I feel way better. Uh, and I have days when I actually feel energized, you know, which was, you know, I didn't feel yes. so long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love them. And I, I just a little Good. quick side that since we're talking about them, um, uh, do you ever do a second steeping of them? Is that, is there any reason I shouldn't do that? Because I do. Um, you can do a second steeping of any of them, but you won't get much of anything except water. Oh, okay. They seem to have color, like about half of, half of the color. You have the a little color, one, but, but you don't have any minerals or any vitamins or any protein. Okay, I won't even bother then. Okay. Now, the that linden was... and the comfrey yeah. do have mucilages, and if you put cold water over them yeah. in a pan and then bring that to a boil, Mm-hmm. And let it sit for about four hours. You can get mm-hmm. those mucilages out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I'm such a dry yeah. person. I love that stuff. Yeah. So but, that, um, now that we do that, but the nutrients um, should be virtually completely extracted by the steeping for four to ten hours that the initial infusion did. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Um, sure. But I want to get you back. You know, to if we were doing a tea ceremony, we would do it three times, right? You pour the boiling water over the tea leaves, and you wait. Really, it seemed like just a few seconds before you pour that out into the teacups and you drink it, and that's like the first flower of the tea. And then the tea mm. is more boiling water is poured over it, and this that's allowed to steep. You know, maybe for a minute or two. And then you drink that, and more boiling water is poured over it, and now you have a little conversation while it steeps. Mm. So, you know, experiment with it, but for the red clover and the oat straw and the nettle, I think the best thing to do with that spent herbs, put it in your compost pile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we were and I I talking about compost before. Yeah. And I was you know, kind of thinking, you know, how much of the compost is kitchen waste? And I thought, well, and a lot of that kitchen waste is spent herb from nourishing herbal infusion because oh, I can I make bet. right like during Green Goddess Week, like we're, you know, we're making mm-hmm. we're using a pound of herb a night. Wow, but there's a lot of spent herb in the kitchen waste that gets buried in with the other stuff in my compost. It's very interesting. I've also just taken the spent herb from the infusions and broadcast it out over a lawn or put it in house plants and it works very well in both of those ways. Mhm. Yes. All right. Um Any- may I get you get your attention back to um I wanted to ask you about a few more herbs and what you think about incorporating them or is it Yes. Should it just be should I just try and decide? <laughs> no. Um Please tell me. Okay. Um, so Japanese knotweed is one that I, um, I'm reading Stephen Buhner's article. Um, I'm 36 pages and it's pretty dense about COVID. And one that's one of the herbs that keeps coming back for different various reasons. Um, and with very, it seems to support the body um, in so many ways um, through and after COVID. And so, and I have, and I have access to, it, my neighbor has it all over his yard, so I was thinking about when it starts growing to eat some of the shoots and maybe make some tincture with the roots. Do you think that would be a good idea for me? 
I do think that's a good idea. And I also and think that if you think that it's too many herbs, that you might want to mm, maybe not do the cleavers and not do either the dandelion or the burdock. Yeah. That if you want to cut back, cut back with some of your tried and true. And, you know, do that like over a week and kind of see where you're at and then start to add the new things so that you can actually get a sense of what they're doing and add them one by one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you about the dandelion and the burdock. I um, I just, I loved um, your description about how they work together. Um, and and so I got very excited. And I'm old friends with both of them, but I've never really done a, a tincture for an extended period of time. So I wanted to give them due time, right? And you've been um, taking so, them how long now? Uh, a, a couple months. That's a lot of time. Okay. All right. And, and again, what I was saying was you were saying maybe I'm taking too many things, and I'm saying if if that's still present for you, then let go of some of the ones you've been using to make way yeah. for the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So that makes me feel better. And then and then astragalus is a is one I've grown astragalus for seven years now, and I love that plant so much. And this year, this last year was uh was a very ab- abundant astragalus year and I was even thinking what am I going to do with all this astragalus and then I'm thinking of course I should take it <laughs> you are absolutely right <laughs> um, <laughs> no one so, argue with I, your I, reasoning there <laughs> so you and you think it would be just just fine to add astragalus right to the mixture sometimes so what maybe I'm saying you, is if you're going to add astragalus root and um, Japanese knotweed root, why don't you remove dandelion root and burdock root to make yeah. way for these other roots yeah. and see what happens? Okay. Yeah. Right? Don't do it abruptly. You know, don't just say, you know, shove dandelion and burdock to the side. You know, you can explain to them. You can do it gradually. You know, you were saying you were taking like a squirt of it. You know, you could take a squirt every other day for a while or whatever, and then begin to introduce one by one the other herbs so that you can have perhaps a more accurate sense of which things you're actually responding to. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love the the gradual too. Okay. Yeah. I ha- I have to quickly tell you I know that there's other people waiting but um also that the cleavers that I just started is uh was made by um by Zara and I know that you know Zara because she studied <laughs> I do. How yeah, I just Yeah, I recently met her this this past year and um yeah, so that was lovely too. Oh, how grand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she turns out she lives a couple miles from me, so. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're going to see yeah. each other a lot this summer. The other thing, yeah. if you hello, have I been disconnected? I can hear you now. Hello. Hello. Yes. Can Good. you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Sarah Ellen. Oh no, I... this is the woman I was talking to. Oh, good. All right. Yeah, I don't know I'm what there. happened. No, no. I hear. I, something went out for a second, but I'm back. I can hear you. You said the right, other right. thing. Um, I I know that I was mid-sentence, but I have no idea what I was saying. Sorry. It was frightened out of me. 
Oh, this one. <laughs> well, I will have to call back then next time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks okay. for your questions. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings to you. Good night. Okay. We have four callers who have pressed one to let us know that they have a question. And our next caller is coming from the 778 area code. You are live on the and then you're not like protecting the wave. Hello. Hi. <laughs> That's amazing. That's like, what? I know. Okay. I think they know they are live. So we will move to our next caller from the 347 area code. You are live on the air with Susan. Hi, Susan. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. What's up tonight? Um, I just have a question about making herbal oil because I recently heard um, this other herbalist talking about how, with the exception of St. John's where um, plant, all the other, pretty much all the other plants um, are the same, whether you use dried herbs or fresh when making oil. Um, I just want to confirm that with you whether that's true or not. Because she was saying how um, you can't really extract what water-soluble properties into oil. So it doesn't really matter. Um, that, so that's my question. Thank you. She's right. You can't extract okay. water-soluble qualities into oil, but water-soluble things take other compounds out of the plants during the drying process. What do you mean by that? Well, fresh catnip has 100% of its volatile oil. Mm -hmm. Home-dried catnip has about 60 to 70% of its volatile oil. And commercially dried catnip has about 20% of its volatile oils. So the oil you make with your dried plant isn't going to be the same, fresh and dried, because there are also oil-soluble compounds that evaporate out with the water. It's not just you dehydrate the plant and you just get, you just have pure water leaves. Mm. Okay, I see. That's the assumption there, right? Is that a dehydrated mm-hmm. plant is exactly the same as a fresh plant minus the water. Yeah. And I'm yeah. saying that's I not get true. Where you're that's the part mm-hmm. that's not true. Okay. So you recommend using fresh plants when making oil as well as the tincture? I do. And it's a hassle. Okay. But okay. it makes such a superior product. Mm-hmm. I see what you mean, yeah. It's worth the hassle. And, of course, one of the things that you lose when you dehydrate a plant, we might call the spirit of the plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard you talking about that as well. Um, you well, if it sure. matters to you whether or not the spirit of the plant is in your remedy then you would choose 
the fresh plant over the dry plant in order to have that quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. That That's my question. Green blessings. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good night. All right. Our next caller is coming from the 603 area code. You are live on the air with Susan. Hello. Okay. We will move on to the next caller who is coming in from the 661 area code. You are now live on the air with Susan. Hello. Hi. Hi. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to be on here. Um, I'm so grateful for you, Susan. I've been listening to your podcast for, well, in podcast form, this radio for the past three weeks, and I've just been, like, obsessed and learning, and it's just, it's great to learn from someone who has encyclopedic knowledge, so I'm very grateful, and thank you so much for all that you do. You are so welcome. What can I help you with tonight? Yes, so, um, uh, so I'm going to be traveling possibly to El Salvador in July. And um, that's my partner's home country. So I'm really excited to share that experience with him. And I think it's just going to be a great experience. But I have traveled to South America, um, Peru, as a kid. And I have had um, some, some like digestion issues. And, and I've had problems with like eating food that was maybe washed with water. So I think it's more of like a waterborne um, you know, problem or sensitivity that I have. So I was wondering if you have any um, wisdom or any type of protocols that I can start to prepare for my traveling. My parents decided that they were going to go to India in their 60s and ride around on trains in India. And I gave them each a one-ounce bottle of wormwood tincture. And I said, don't take it beforehand. But as soon as you get to India, put one or two drops of this wormwood tincture in everything you drink. Mm. Do your best to drink only things that have been boiled, like tea. Okay. And to eat only cooked food, not raw food. But I also know how difficult that can be. And they also told me, you know, how astonished and almost shocked they were when they were on the train and the person came by with the pole across their shoulders and a basket of dal and a basket of rice, both cooked, right? Mm-hmm. And offered them, you know, oh, yes, yes, we'd like some. Well, they had to have their own plates and utensils. Mm-hmm. And he scooped them out onto their plates with his hand from the baskets. Oh. Nonetheless, taking their wormwood faithfully with everything they drank, they did not have any digestive issues. Mm-hmm. Okay, wormwood isn't that isn't that an Artemisia? Artemisia, it is indeed Artemisia absinthum, the one that absinthe was made from. 
Oh, right, right. All the green, funky 70s logo design back in the day. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Um, okay. Thank you so much. And then, um, so with that, I, I'm also looking to, um, again, since listening to your, to your show and, and just reading and gaining oh, all this wait, wisdom. Wait, wait, before we go on and apropos mm-hmm. what the person before you, um, if you buy wormwood tincture and it's made from dried wormwood, then okay. you don't have to take, then you don't have to take like 10 or 15 drops. Okay, 10 to 15. What I gave them was a tincture made from fresh wormwood. That's what you recommend. I always use tinctures made from the fresh plant material. Right, okay. So It's very okay. few exceptions. And there's always exceptions in life. Life is about exceptions. <laughs> so where, where would one find uh, fresh wormwood? Like I live in Southern California. It's a Mediterranean plant. It's pretty easy to grow. You could go to a garden supply store and ask them if they have um, wormwood for sale. Um, there's also Richter's, which sells um, herb plants through the mail. Um, oh, perfect. What was that again? Could you repeat that, please? Yes. R I C H T E R. S. Rick mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, they're one of the um, largest suppliers of herb plants. Their catalog of herb plants is uh, 75 pages. Oh, wow. It's absolutely huge. Online, www.richters.com. Perfect. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, you are welcome. Also, so so I'm trying to I'm trying to phase out essential oils from my life as much as possible. <laughs> um, and I am now, you know, I'm searching online, but I'd, I'd much rather speak to someone and and I'd much rather like have personal experience from someone to share. So how how are you able to like have hair um shampoos and conditioners and uh, toothpaste. I know that you've mentioned that you use yarrow as your main form of toothpaste um, and, and detergent as well. So do you have any, any uh, recipes that or anything that you've used uh, for, you know, detergent or hair wash, body wash without essential oils? I don't know where you can get them now. But what I use instead of detergent are plastic mesh balls that have some kind of earth inside them, like little pieces of of rock. Mm -hmm. And I just throw them in the washing machine. I don't have to use detergent. I just use those instead. Oh, is that because of the minerals in the rock? I guess so. I wish I knew what they were called. Oh, okay. I'm sure I could look that up. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, yes, you know, the whole, the whole toothpaste scam, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just the essential oil in the toothpaste. There's also artificial sugar in all toothpaste. Mm, dextrose oh. and montrose or whatever. Like aspartame. Oh, like yeah. Like artificial oh. sweeteners. Oh, man. Which really, really work a bad number on your gut flora. 
Mm-hmm. There's just really no reason for toothpaste. Little yarrow mm-hmm. tincture on your toothbrush. The t- tooth brushing is about abrasion. Mm-hmm. So if you're right. brushing, you're doing a good job. You're flossing, you're doing a good job. You don't need foaming, whitening stuff going on as well. Right. I feel like that's more of a comfort thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. But find find some other wonderful comfort thing. Right. 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 Like having bloody gums with yarrow. <laughs> <laughs> Getting rid of bloody gums with yarrow. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I, I just have one last question, um, and maybe a mini question as well. So I have been doing research. Um, I, I have... Um, family and ancestry from Peru that I think dates back to like the Incas and I've been the first herb that I purchased um, that really caught my eye was cat's claw I I knew you were going to say that (laughs) you know but it's I didn't even know I actually meant to I actually meant to purchase catnip but I ended up getting, you know, the wrong one. And then I looked it up and I saw that it was uña de gato, but I can't really find anything on it um, do you have any references or books or any of your own knowledge that you have with Uña de Gato? I mean, it's apparently one of the most important Inca uh, medicines that, that they have. And there's a lot of different species. Okay. I remember sitting in Costa Rica at a farm devoted to cat's claw, and they were telling us about the different kinds of cat's claw that they were growing and the different effects that they had. And I said to them, well, if you just, like, go out and buy dried cat's claw, would you get And they said, "Mm, whatever. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of of like cannabis, right? Mm -hmm. If you just go out and buy cannabis, you dry cannabis, whatever, it's okay, it'll work. Mm. But it's in a way, it's a very shamanic herb, like cannabis, because it has that ability to be very specific. Mm-hmm. And so I will. that's, you know, only really possible when you're growing it, when you're there, when you're with it. I think that that's part of what you're feeling. Mm. is that you're feeling that actual link to the living plant, not to, shall we say, information about the plant. Isla Burgess said to us one day, and how would you like it if somebody walked in and said, "Um, this is Susan Weed, you use her for this. (laughs) She said, it's really rude of us to focus on them only as how they can be used, especially how they can be used by us. So at this point, I think that the reason you haven't been able to find any information about this is because it doesn't want you to. When Mm -hmm. I my apprentices to work with a green ally and to give a green ally report at the end of their apprenticeship, I tell them that the only way they can fail 
their Green Ally Report, is to read a single word written about their plant. I feel that. And some of them even go so far as to consider me a book. And if I'm talking about their plant in class, they will walk away so they can't hear what I have to say, which I admire them for quite a lot. Mm. When you don't know, when you come with beginner's mind, when you come like Inanna, right, stripped naked of all of the things you think you are, then you are equal. can enter into your relationship. Mm, I love that. The stripping down of whatever I thought was and rebuilding. Not even the rebuilding, just the stripping down. The rebuilding happens because life happens. Because that's what wants to happen. Right? In the same way that if you breathe out, you will breathe in. Mm. So focus on the breathing out and the letting go and trust the rebuilding and the filling up, the breathing in. It will happen. That's how nature wants it. Mm. Oh, thank you, Susan. I really, really appreciate that. That made me all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I was talking to one of my correspondents, Christians, yesterday who was really struggling, you know, was like, oh, you know, she's so tense and she has this problem because she's so tense and this other problem. I said, you know, you kind of like relax a little. She calls me first thing this morning. She says, if I relax, my child will die. It's like, no, you know. First, give yourself one second of relaxation, right? Then, you know, the next day, give yourself two seconds. Work your way up, perhaps, to a whole minute of relaxation. Believe me, everything is still going to be going on when you're done with that one minute of relaxation. So it's not an either-or universe. We get to have it. We get to have it all. Thanks for calling tonight. Of of course. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Green blessings. All right. We have two callers that have pressed one to let us know that they have a question. And we will go back to the caller in the 778 area code. To incorporate black and doesn't really incorporate black. Okay. Uh, we, uh, on the kitchen counter. <laughs> so we will go back to our other caller that uh, we tried last time in the 603 area code. You are live on the air with Susan. I hope you can hear me this time, Susan. We can. Hooray. Finally, I was calling you from my cell phone and you couldn't hear me. I have no idea why, because I've always called you in the past. So anyway, I finally switched to my landline and tried again. So yay. Yay. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> I was, it's Rose calling. I'm so happy to hear you talk about um, the maple syrup. That was such a nice introduction tonight, because I was actually just thinking about that, because here in New Hampshire we have the same weather and it was just gorgeous and sunshiny and I'm thinking I gotta find my taps because I I always bought like the equipment at the local um, hardware store but I never have done it yet all my life I've wanted to do this and we have a couple of maple trees on the property so 
I'm determined to try it this year. Um, oh, my I... gosh, how wonderful. Don't <laughs> do it inside. Excuse me? Do not boil it inside. Oh, I wanted to ask you, um, I've had to start um, ex, um, working out deliberately hard because of my, my scoliosis. My double scoliosis has gotten so much worse. So I was wondering if I could just collect the, um, the water, the sap, and drink it like to replenish after I work out, you know, like to get, gather maybe electrolytes instead of, you know, drinking something else. Instead of boiling, I'm, I don't have any kind of a pot to boil it or the energy. So what, a, what do you think about that idea? You could collect some and freeze it. Huh? You could collect some and freeze it in small amounts and then, you know, have it available. Yeah? It doesn't last. Yeah. You know, it will, it will sour um, fairly quickly. Okay. So, so it's not, in the no, you don't like collect maple sap and then a week later make the syrup. You collect it and you make the syrup right away within hours and you're collecting the sap. I used to collect the sap three times a day. Yes, you said that when you opened. You don't want to let it sit around, especially not if it's a sunny day. Okay, I'll, I'll put it into uh, maybe an ice cube tray and um, do that, yeah? Exactly, yeah. Oh, thank you. I'll let you know how it goes. I will try that. Now, can I tap? I, th- I seem to remember years ago that I read something about you can tap some other trees, too. Was it some kind of a birch? Can you tap other trees besides the, maple? The, the grace of the maple tree is that after you tap it, it will heal that hole. Okay. As a matter of fact, nowadays, when they make commercial maple syrup, they don't use a tap. They just drill a hole in the tree and put in a plastic pipeline. Yes, I've seen those on the side of the road. And because the tree wants to close the hole up and the plastic makes it easier for the tree to do that, they put a pellet of formaldehyde at the beginning of the plastic pipe near the tree to keep the tree from growing the hole in, and that's, of course, part of what ends the season is that the hole grows in. You can tap any tree, but I don't think other trees can repair themselves, so any other tree you tap, you kill. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that then. Well, well, thank you for that tip. Now, I, I did want to ask you, one other caller um, uh, was asking about lymph nodes. I didn't, I couldn't hear all of it, um, um, the, the discussion, so um but I did want to ask you, she, when I heard the word lymph node, I have had a left lymph node on my neck, of course it's on my neck, swollen for years. When I touch it, it's very, very tender. The one on the right is not, and it has been swollen for years. Do, is there anything you could suggest that I could take? I have no idea why that's always, you know, why it's been like that for some time. So do, you, do you remember what she was taking? Do I she, remember what? What she was taking? Did she say what she was taking to help with her lymph nodes? Cleavers. No, I, I couldn't. I got, I got cut off. Ah, I couldn't. Cleavers oh. is what she said. Oh, now would that be a tincture? Yes, tincture of cleavers. Now, even if I've had this like chronically, like for you know, for years and years, I don't know if it started after my chronic fatigue or when. I don't remember when it started. It might have been as far back as college when I got mono. 
and then I got chronic fatigue. And um, so even though it's chronic, um, you suggest I try tincture? If you're ready to let it go, cleavers can help you. To let it go? If you're ready to. I am. I've been wanting, because whenever I would go to a medical doctor, they just ignore it. Like I've said, what about this lymph phone? And they feel it and they go, you know, they, don't, they never gave me an answer, but it has bothered me because it's tender. All right, I will, I will try that. Is there, um, because I've never taken, I actually have cleavers in my yard, so, um, but I have to wait for the fresh, to make the fresh tincture, correct? I have to wait or purchase it from a good herbalist. You could purchase it now if you want to take it right now. But, yes, it will work much better if you use what grows where you live and make your own tincture, without a doubt. Okay, so maybe I'll wait till the spring when mine comes up. Um, and I've waited this long. I, I mean, mean, really. You waited a while already, so it seems okay. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> thank, thank you for that. And someone else mentioned ginkgo. So, of course, that brought to mind. I have been awfully forgetful lately. Like, words aren't coming to me. I was always so quick. So um, is ginkgo tincture something that I would you suggest for um, for me, um, you know, I want to see it's well, It is well known for increasing the oxygenation and circulation to the brain. And so the best way would be a tincture, in your opinion? Usually. Okay. So that's okay. Now, again, um, I guess I have to either purchase it because I don't know any ginkgo where any ginkgo trees grow around me. I have not seen one ever. So I, I guess I would purchase that from an herbalist mm-hmm. because once again that needs to be fresh, correct? It's usually made from the freshly falling leaves. Interestingly enough, the Fresh leaves as they come off leaves. the leaves as they come off the tree in the fall, but before they're dry. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so I'll have to um, get that from one of the um, herbalists mm-hmm. you, you suggest so I know that they're choosing. Ginkgo is a right. wonderful tree to grow. It grows very well in a pot. Oh? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So even in a, so in a northern climate, I could even grow it. Inside, I c- couldn't leave it outside, can I? Can oh, I, I have three ginkgo trees outside. You have ginkgo trees outside in the north? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. They grow in New York City. Oh, okay. Um, I've only seen them in the south, so I didn't know that. Oh, well, great. Susan. Yeah. So I, And the other thing um, that I wanted to ask you about, and maybe I'll help that other caller, because I know she mentioned asking you about the toothpaste, and she also mentioned for body soap and hair wash, but um, I think she forgot about. So that was also a question I have. What in the world do you wash your hair with and use for body soap and even for, um, you know, washing your dishes? What does soap do? What, does, what soap does soap do? What does soap do? It um, 
let's see, what does it actually do when I think about that? Um, it lessens, it has something to do with the surface tension um, to make the water more usable, something to do with the surface tension. I'm not, it's my brain, I need some ginkgo, help me, Susan. You're, you're, you're close, you're close. Soap makes the size, yes, soap makes the size of fat globules smaller. So, let's suppose that you have just eaten some lamb's quarter and some rice and some carrots. And you take your plate to the sink and you put it under hot water. That, along with a little scrub-a-dub, is going to get it every bit as fine as if you used any soap at all. The only time you need soap is if you have grease. Yes. But I also want to disinfect. And if you have grease, then you you do need soap. And they make soaps of all kinds, from laundry detergent to dish soap, that have no essential oils in them. I have trouble finding that. I'm going to have to look harder. Is there a special one that you... My local supermarket, my local supermarket, they have seventh generation on the shelf, zero fragrance or dye, free and clear. Seventh generation, I okay. That okay, seventh generation, and they have all different kinds of soaps to use uh, for dish dish hand washing, and um, for. But that's and think, not and think about using less soap for the sake of the oils on your skin, which do not need to be so disturbed. Again, right, you get into the shower, and you get in the shower with a Tawashi brush or a loofah, and you scrub. You don't need soap. As a matter of fact, there's an MD who wrote a book. I think he's called it Dirty, in which he decided not to shower because he saw I don't how really, like, I don't like really, to, bad, really I don't, bad it was for his skin. Yes. And he, I, he, he, he writes about it and what he did and how he does it. It's going to be different for different people in different situations. But again, think about it. Do you want to be using soap which takes away oil from your skin surface which needs oil? How many people get in the shower, soap themselves up, get out of the shower, oil themselves up? Well, when I I'd only bathe once a week. Uh, that sounds because, good. That's that's a good um, start. And right? I do use coconut oil on my skin afterwards, but I don't I like the, the standard soap I've been using because it. Um, I thought I was doing myself a favor because years ago I bought a big supply of the liquid soap, oh, um, oh my gosh, I just forgot the name of it. I need that ginkgo again. But I looked at it, and it has essential oil in it. I think you know which one I'm talking about. The one that Dr. comes Bronner. in a liquid bottle, and it has all that writing all over it. Dr. Dr. Bronner. Yes. And it has essential oils in it. Well, that's how it smells, like peppermint and eucalyptus. It's not like natural. It has to have essential oil. Yes, you're right. 
So I simply avoid any of that. I use as little soap as possible. And that's partly because I live in the country and I know, you know, where my water goes. My Any water from the house with soap in it goes boop out into my ponds. So we really, yeah. we really but, keep people like this. And when you're around people, aren't you afraid that you're, go- you're not going to, that you're going to stink? I mean, really, I, to, if when I'm around, I want to, I don't want to smell bad. And I need soap to, you know, to wash under the armpits and, you know, the, the, the I main find place. witch hazel works better. So you would just apply witch hazel instead of using soap with, Correct. like, on a washcloth? Correct. Okay. You can even pour your witch hazel uh, over some nicely scented thing like roses and make rose-scented witch hazel so you not only don't stink, you smell like roses. Well, that'll suit my name very well. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I love rose water. I, I, it, I bought a bottle years ago, and it's just so yes. wonderful. I, what I do is just, I just take the cap off my bottle of, rose, of witch hazel, you know, when there's, a, like, a, when I've used a little of it and there's some space, then I take the cap off and put the rose petals in there and just let it sit like that. It's just wonderful. You add the rose petal, the fresh rose petals to your witch hazel? Or dried ones, whatever I have on hand. Oh, wow. And how long can you let that sit like that? Forever. Oh, that's great. That's great. And is it safe um, to buy just the regular witch hazel that you get at the pharmacy? You know, you need to be able to actually read the label and see what's in it because you may find that it also has had essential oil added to it. No, I, the one I've seen um, just that you can get at you know the regular store um, doesn't. It just it just says witch Good. hazel. Good. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, so that that'll work then. That'll work. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. So much, Susan, for your help. You're welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings to you. Have a good night. Good night. And it's time for me to introduce Jamie Hearn, an intuitive women's empowerment coach and spiritual teacher. Jamie is passionate about working with high-achieving spiritual women who, despite outside success, may struggle with self-judgment, and lack of clarity around her true purpose. Jamie's coachings, offerings, and retreats empower women to reconnect to their sacred wisdom, own their sovereign voice, and step into their divine power so they can consciously create the life they are truly worthy of. In addition to having a thriving international coaching practice and being an Akashic Records expert and teacher. Jamie has been a successful attorney for nearly 20 years. Walking with one foot in each world allows Jamie to intentionally and intuitively guide her clients to the ideal strategies for their individual situations with flow, ease, and grace. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you this evening. I am so excited to have you, too. And I want to spend just a minute with you before we get started. Um, riding one of my hobby horses, and especially in these days, um, it, it has uh, gone for a, a great many gallops. 
Um, I noticed that you used the word feminine, and you may have noticed that in the introduction I didn't use that word. And feminine and masculine are cultural concepts. They have no inherentness within themselves. What is considered feminine in one culture might be considered masculine in another. Just a hundred years ago here in the United States, baby boys were dressed in pink because it was like a soft Mars color. So feminine, masculine, mm, I don't use those words. Female, I am female. And you know what, Jamie, to tell you the honest truth, I'm not very feminine, but I'm all female. And so I like female sovereignty, and I want to invite you to really step into the fact that we don't have to have divine feminine anything, that it's female that I believe you are really talking about here. And I am so excited. Now, you may have heard the very beginning of the show. I always do a little mini introduction at the beginning of the show. And I did, you know, say that you were a Akashic Records expert. And I promised people that you would explain to them what that is. So that's going to be my first question, if you'd be willing to answer that. I absolutely will be happy to chat about the Akashic Records. Um, the, the records are the energetic collection of your soul's experience across all lifetimes, and it includes knowledge, wisdom, truth, beliefs, and relationships that you have experienced. So the records allow you to view things from a higher level and access some guidance that removes you from your 3D human experience to have that, that ability to see the greater good in your most exalted path. Yes, I love it. Somebody once said to me, you know, when you die, they sit you down and show you where you've made all the mistakes. I said, no, no, no. When you die, they sit you down and show you how all your mistakes were absolutely perfect. Yeah, the light, you, I do believe that you have a life review, and it's not um, a scolding or a, let this be a lesson. It's a review of all of the things that you endeavored to learn and experience and how they fit together. So you can craft your decisions about what you're going to experience in the next incarnation. Does everybody have access to these records, or did you have to do something special? Everyone has the capacity to access their records. A lot of us spontaneously access the records. There is an intentional method to accessing the records that ensures that you're in the right vibration. And if you're accessing the records of someone else, it's necessary to have their permission to do so. But everyone can access their own record whenever they want. It has always amazed me that different people based on their profession will envision the record storage in different ways. And I was once working with a, a videographer who actually literally, you know, walked into a building where there were reels of film that she could access. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
you know, well, that's her metaphor. It's, it's all been filmed. Well, and, uh, and, uh, it is. So, you know, what uh, What I have found is what, whatever the person's metaphor, that's, that's how they're going to envision this uh, great library. Um, and, of course, part of that great library is um, one of my favorite inclusive words, you know. She is inclusive of he, and woman is inclusive of man, and goddess is inclusive of God. So in order to be inclusive, I'm using those words exclusively. So tell us more about the goddess energy that you work with and how you work with it. I actually use the Akashic Records as an entry point to access the experiences I have had with various goddesses and allow them to demonstrate the the wisdom that I need in the moment. Um, Joan of Arc is one of my absolute favorite goddesses. She actually ushered me into my very first experience in the records when I was a teenager on a trip to France. Um, Looking back, it was an amazingly beautiful and moving and deep experience in the moment. You know, seeing things through a teenage lens is always a little bit different than than a middle-aged adult. Um, I was a little bit uncertain about the feelings of the energy I was receiving. Those energies have paralleled experiences throughout my life. So that's how I know when the goddess energy is calling me to access a deeper level of wisdom. I get the same feeling that I, that I got in that cathedral when I was 16 years old. And I think that a lot of us get those feelings and nudges and, and intuitive hits and ignore them. So that's one of the things that the goddess has really amplified for me is paying attention to those nudges that I get. I agree with you 100%. As a matter of fact, it's one of the things that I tell the apprentices to say, I want you to do what I tell you to do with that question, not because I'm any great hoo-ha, but because it will give you practice for doing what the goddess tells you to do with that question. Yes. And it's not like you're going to get told twice. Listen up now, or I'm on to something else. <laughs> so, how do you, um, how do you bring this inner wisdom that you have about the goddess to other women? Do you do it through? I think you do it through individual personal coaching, but perhaps other ways as well. I do. Um, one-on-one coaching, and I also teach 
classes and conduct courses, but honestly, my very favorite thing to do with other women in this energy is to hold retreats. Mm-hmm. The, the power of community when women come together in a common vibration and energy is just unspeakable. I can't even express how powerful that experience is. Again, I absolutely agree with you. Yes. Guaranteed that there will be magic. Yes. Yeah. Some of my early goddess work, I was privileged to be part of a community of women who were interested in the goddess, and we agreed to meet for a week each year for seven years. And we worked with Jean Shinoda Boland's book, Goddess in Every Woman, and very, you know, European and white-centric. But it got us started, and each of the seven days we were together, we focused on one of those goddesses, and each of the weeks we were together over the seven years was focused on one of the goddesses overall. And that helped us to branch out and of course then the work of Marilyn Stone bringing in goddesses from all over the world mm. and helping us to, to open up to that concept that it's not um, just uh, Diana and uh, the Greek and Roman pantheon yeah but you have done something that uh, at first I was hesitant to do but then ultimately did do which is to um, fling that goddess net even a little bit wider and to say it it doesn't have to be a woman who's a saint or who has been named a goddess. It can be someone like Joan of Arc or, for me, the Statue of Liberty. Yes, absolutely. And I don't know if you know, but there's a plant called St. John's Wort, which I've renamed St. Joan's Wort. So St. John's Wort, St. Joan's Wort, because I, like you, think that she was a very admirable young woman. I have heard of of the plant. That knowledge makes me all the more interested to learn more about it. Exactly. Well, it's a plant that prevents sunburns, and that's why I decided to name it St. Joan, because I figured she knew an awful lot about burning. For sure. (laughs) Sure, right. So, one of the things that many people seem to be confusing nowadays is the truth with their individual beliefs. And The interesting thing to me about a belief is that a belief can be changed. So if I say, um, I believe that I have brown eyes, somebody would have to say, no, that's the truth, Susan, because you can't really change that. We call, well, I but call if I say, 
I believe I am powerful, so you could say that is indeed a belief, right? And Mm -hmm. if I say it's my truth that I'm powerful, then I have to say it's your belief. Because to put your before the word truth demeans the word truth. The speed of light is the truth. How you feel is your honest representation right now, but it's not the truth. And I distinguish that as is the uncontrovertible truth. And that is something you have found through the Akashic Records and the Goddess. Is that correct? Yes. Absolutely. Tell us more. Tell us more about it. Oh, there's so much. So beliefs are pervasive and often based in things that are are beyond our conscious concept in this incarnation, based on someone else's story or experience also. And when I access the records and they demonstrate where a belief has come from, they also give me an entry point to help to heal or conform that belief to create a different outcome in this incarnation. Um, the truth that is accessible goes beyond my experience or my knowledge or my thought process to universal concepts that are a deeper, a broader spread and impact to the entire universe. Um, So within the records, Truth is is akin to the concept of laws in the planes of existence. And belief skews our perceptions of truth, our, our experience, you know, all, all of the, the tentacles that show up in in our everyday existence. Um, The the goddess is so, so powerful in allowing us to see from a higher perspective where those beliefs are not serving us. So we can shift them to a different version. And it happens instantaneously when you're seeing things from the perspective of a higher level that the goddess allows you to see instead of being stuck in the 3D mire that we're so often finding ourselves in in this human incarnation. Hi, Jamie. This is Sarah. It looks like Susan's call has dropped. I imagine she'll be joining us in just a moment. If you have anything else you'd like to say about that, please go ahead and um, she'll rejoin as soon as she's here again. Okay. Um, the... yep. Hello. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. 
Go ahead. Go ahead, Jamie. Um, accessing the wisdom of the goddess also allows us to utilize magic and tools that are not necessarily accessible to us in our conscious everyday existence because we've had access to those tools at various points in other incarnations, often through mystery schools that we have participated in with the goddess energy. So it gives us a multidimensional ability to access and derive a belief that serves us more effectively as we're pursuing the exalt, most exalted path that our soul wishes to in this lifetime. Soul contracts get to be fulfilled more quickly. We can release blocks, restrictions, hooks, cords, other things that are affecting our energy and really experience the most amazing incarnation that's possible for us. I tell clients a lot, you can have it all. Who said you can't? That's some someone else's story. So let's create your new story where you have all of the experiences that you desire in this lifetime. And the goddess is really what allows them to see that higher level perspective where they can envision that they actually can have it all. Because the goddess is it all. Right? (laughs) So when you're working with a woman, do you help her to connect to a kind of generic goddess energy or to a specific goddess? It really depends on what the particular need is in her world at the moment. Sometimes a certain goddess will come through. Sometimes more of a generic Sophia-like energy will come through. Um, Often they come as a tribe. And that's, that's my most favorite experience. Uh, one particular experience I had with a group of clients on a guided meditation was we, we crossed a river and were guided into a pyramid. And inside that pyramid was Hathor with countless other women who were all filling the goddess energy and, and, and filling the space of this pyramid of healing led by Hathor, but they were all goddesses. So that was a really powerful vision because everyone in the guided meditation could see themselves reflected in the divinity of each of those women. And that was beautiful and evocative and, and healing for, for every one of us exponentially. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Mm. 
people want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? I am on Facebook. Live Your Divinity is my Facebook page or on my website at jamiehearn.com and it's J-A-M-I-H-E-A-R-N. Um, those, are the, those are the two best places to track me down. All right, then. That's great. Do you suggest a particular skill or a particular skill set or perhaps even something you could share with us in three to five minutes that would be a way that everybody listening here could have more access to this goddess empowerment that you're talking about? I find nature to be the quickest catalyst to connect with the goddess energy. I am fortunate to live on a farm, so I have access to abundant nature. But even people who live in cities can integrate, whether it's a house plant with some dirt or um, just finding somewhere to get your, your feet in the grass. And meditation, of course, is a, a fabulous skill. Some people say, I have a hard time meditating. Walking meditations in nature are extremely powerful. So setting the intention to, that you're going to connect with the goddess energy while you're in that space gives you the entry and you're inviting in whatever support you need, the goddess will show up. Absolutely. In fact, I often tease that if you give nature an hour, she will absolutely show you that you are her favorite child. (laughs) I love that. coming. 
So I always want to leave room for the end better. And that's how I, I like to guide clients so they don't limit themselves by one of those beliefs that might be cropping up that we hadn't seen before. So they can always have room to make the choice that allows them to have a bigger, better, more amazing experience. Yes, I often say that no matter how many times I say, there's going to be a million dollars in my mailbox, there's going to be a million dollars in my mailbox, it's unlikely to happen. But I've, I even spend one or two minutes saying, the abundance of the universe finds its way to me, I guarantee it will happen. Yes. I love that. Because just as you're saying, I've now invited in the chaos of the universe. <laughs> and it's easiest to be reached through that. It's been so wonderful talking to you, Jamie Hearn, J A M I, Jamie Hearn, H E A R N. And you can find her at Facebook and, of course, jamiehearn.com. She has a website as well. And I want to thank you for being with us and to ask you, what do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everybody who's been listening to you tonight? Thank you so much for having me and sharing this space with me. And I would love to leave the knowledge that the goddess lives within you. Allow her to assist you in flourishing and blossoming and nurturing your soul. Beautifully said. One of our Woodstock poets, a woman named Cassia Berman, who's no longer with us, wrote a long and very epic poem about her journeys all over the world in pursuit of the goddess. And the poem ended, and I don't quote her, but paraphrase her, was saying, and goddess, you sneaky bitch, all the time you've been in my heart. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) All the time I searched high and low for you in every culture and every place. And although I found you all the time, you've really been in my heart. Thank you so much, Jamie Hearn. Thank you so much, Sarah Ellen. Thank you, Justine. Thank you, everybody. Green blessings. Thank you for helping me to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients and to restore Herbal medicine as people's medicine. Good night. Green blessings, everybody. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.